I think we're going to start. And uh, as people come, then we can carry on, inshallah. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ahli sayyidina Muhammadin wa sallim. Ya man tarana wa tasma'una wa ta'alamu haluna ya rabbil alameen. اغفر لنا وارحمنا واسترنا وانصرنا ايدنا كلنا لا تكن علينا برحمتك يا ارحم الراحمين اللهم انا نتوجه اليك ونسالك باسمك العظيم الاعظم يا كريم ان تدخلنا في درسنا هذا مدخل صدغ وتخرجنا منه مخرج صدغ وان تجعلنا فيه من لدنك سلطانا نصيرا ربنا اجعل اوله صلاحا وابسطه فلاحا برحمتك يا ارحم الراحمين وصل وسلم على سيدنا احمد النبي الامين واله وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين الفاتح بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين اياك نعبد اياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين انعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين امين اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربي اوزعنا نشكر نعمتك التي انعمت علي وعلى والدي ونعمل صالحا ترضاه واصلح لي في ذريتي اني تبت اليك واني من المسلمين الحمد لله we have reached a position in studying the seerah whereby the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has managed to teach his companions who were with him at that time that the best way in introducing this great religion to people is by always showing the way of mercy and never to try to insult or put down or demean or push or force people into the faith because at the end of the day our role is to direct and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's role is to guide so the guidance is from Allah in al-huda hudallah indeed the guidance only by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now two hijras taken place to Abyssinia a third hijra taken place to Medina where the Prophet managed to stay with his companion and try to build the strength of the knowledge of the companion so that they can begin to spread the knowledge of Islam to those who are willing and those who are in need of the spiritual invitation for the religion. They came to him in Badr and they fought him and he won. They felt terrible about it so they prepared a bigger army and they came to him and fought in Uhud and the Prophet ﷺ and his companions were given a tough time so that they can learn for the future. That battle became a learning curve to know that whatever the Prophet ﷺ says, we must follow it. Whatever. We should never question him. We should never go against his teaching. Okay, That was the reason for them losing when the people who were in the mountain came down to collect Okay, after that battle was won first by the Muslims and then suddenly Khalid ibn Ulayt came from the back and the damage was done. And that was a battle whereby the Prophet lost some of the greatest companions and those whom he loved like Hamza, his uncle. Now, at the beginning of the seerah we were talking about the environment of Medina, the people of Medina and we discussed the Jewish community that was living there in Medina. Now, one of those Jewish tribe, Bani Nadir, the Prophet ﷺ made an agreement with them that as long as he's living in Medina and with his companion studying and learning and teaching, 
they have no interest in doing anything to anybody else. Those who are willing to listen to the message and follow it, alhamdulillah, those who want to remain in whatever they have, they can remain. So that was the agreement with them. And he respected them. And to some extent, they respected him. In the last session, we were discussing that, subhanallah, another tribe was having an agreement with him, but they were plotting against him, and they wanted him to be dead. And he managed to surround them, and then they asked him to leave, and they moved. But this time, this tribe, Bani Nadir, were not very happy. And in the year five, after Hijrah, they decided to do something against Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. What they did was one of the most terrible things because a group of them went out of Medina to Mecca and sat with Quraysh, the leaders, Abu Sufyan and his people, and they told them, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is still weak in Medina. Al-Aws al-Khazraj who have given him allegiance, they are also not strong enough. They have the wealth, the money, and you have the people and the strength of army. If you are willing to come and fight Muhammad Sallam, we will support you from within Medina and we can help wipe him out of the surface of the earth. We can destroy him. Initially, Abu Sufyan was not really happy to listen to what they were saying because he knew they lost a lot of good people although in Uhud he promised to come back but he never came back next year in Badr and the Prophet went there and he didn't come he didn't have that kind of strength to go again and fight about Muhammad but he's angry he would love to have revenge and to destroy Islam forever so reluctantly they agreed if there are other tribes who can fight with them and they agreed that they will give 4,000 soldiers to fight Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu in that year. There is another tribe called Qatfan, which is one of the strong tribes in Arabia. Those Jews went to them, sat with them, and managed to also convince them. But with a price. This time, they will pay them. They said, if you can give us an army to fight with Quraysh, and with us within Medina, and we know how to, inshallah, win this battle without losing any, we will pay you. So they made an agreement. And this agreement was with rules that they put themselves for Quraysh and for Qatfan. And the first rule that they put, that in order for them to fight and to pay them, they must give them 6,000 soldiers. So this tribe, Qatfan, they must give 6,000 soldiers to come to Medina to try to destroy Islam and including the Prophet And in return, they will pay them the whole yield of Khaybar dates for a year. Whatever they can get out okay, of their fruits is paid for them. Quraysh, on the other hand, will give 4,000 soldiers. They will not be paid because they have a reason to fight for they lost a lot with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And the fourth agreement rule that Abu Sufyan must lead the army. And Abu Sufyan, when he found himself in that position, he will have 10,000 soldiers and he doesn't have to pay Qatfan anything, but the Jews will pay. He thought it might be a strong idea to fight, so he agreed to lead an army. That year, the year five, the Prophet was just beginning to get the companion together in learning, in understanding the religion, in really building their spiritual strength. However, he heard the news that they are preparing themselves. The, the Muslimin or the believers among the Ansar, okay, from Al Aus al Khazraj and the Muhajirin, they got a little bit of fear. Because if 10,000 soldiers come to surround Medina, it will be very difficult for them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al Ahzab relays this to us clearly. And this battle is called Al Ahzab or Al Khandaq. Allah relates in it in this Surah Al Ahzab, which is literally talking about this turning point for Islam at that moment, and we will know later. Allah said, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-rajim, idh ja'ukum min fawqikum wa min asfala minkum. O Muhammad sallam, when those who were acting with animosity against you and your companion has come to you from afar, from a distance, riding to come to fight you, and those who are within Medina, those who are neighboring you, those who have made agreement with you, have decided to side with them to fight you. Of course, it's difficult to fight somebody within and outside. How can you win a battle like that? وَإِذَّاغَتِ الْأَبْصَارُ وَبَلَغَتِ الْقُلُوبُ الْحَنَاجِرُ When sights or eyes began to turn, wondering what's going to happen. Is this the end for the Muslims and Islam? Many of them, out of fear, Allah says, as if their hearts has come to their throats. وَتَظُنُّونَ بِاللَّهِ الظُّنُونَ And many of you, at that moment of weakness, you began to wonder what is going to happen. Are we going to be destroyed? Is Islam going to be stopped here? Is Muhammad sallallahu going to be lost in Uhud? He was almost killed. هُنَالِكَ ابْتُلِيَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Allah said, هُنَالِك There, at that moment, when this news came, the believers were tested hard. Really, the hardest of tests that they ever went through is at that moment. وَزُلْزِلُوا زِلْزَالًا شَدِيدًا زلزال meaning shaken. They were shaken to their core of hearing that news. It was not easy realizing that two large tribes with a huge army coming toward them with the intention of destroying them and killing the Prophet with an agreement with the biggest tribe of the Jews who is the most strongest within Medina, whom the Prophet had an agreement with. Now, the Prophet being the wise man he is, he collected all the companions and they sat down in a gathering discussing what to do. What's the lesson for us today when we hear such a thing? To me, if we read this just at the history of Muhammad and go just 
by that instant without thinking or reflecting, we gain nothing. But as believers, we need to reflect. The Prophet ﷺ gathered the believers in hearing the news because it doesn't just concern him. It concerns them. Allah said in the Quran, وَأَمْرَهُمْ شُورَ بَيْنَهُمْ Whatever concerns them, they must be consulting within themselves, among themselves, and with you, O Muhammad ﷺ. However, if you want to initiate anything that involves them, you must consult them. So, this is what we call shura in Islam. And subhanallah, this concept of shura is so important. Today, when you look at all those houses that are built for democracy around the world, like the Senate and the Parliament and the House of Lords, it all comes from that. It's a place where the wise men, the elderly, the leaders who represent different groups come together to consult. And together, they make one decision, and that decision must be followed. Who started that? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Shura, or consultation. So he gathered them together to consult. The muhajireen from Mecca, they were there. And the Prophet always used to give them a very good say. But he used to listen to the people of Medina because he's living with them as a guest, and he doesn't want any harm to come to them. And the consultation was taking place and everybody was giving his decision and what he thinks should happen. But the Prophet realized there was fear. There was fear. However, the fear comes, by the way, because these people will come with a lot of weapons. And the most dangerous thing at that time is to have a horse. When you don't have horses for a battle like today, people are fighting on, on the ground or with little cars or whatever, and people with tanks. The balance is not there. So when people come with horses, it's hard as a battle. Those who are in the horses, they have the upper hand. So Salman al-Farisi, the Persian, whom his story is absolutely wonderful to read and understand because he's one of those clever men with his people in Persia and after embracing Islam, he did a lot of good things with the Prophet He put his hand up and he was given the chance to speak. And at that moment, at that moment, what he said became the most important thing for winning that battle. And what he did in that moment became an indication that there is no difference between the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. In the jama'ah, everybody is equal. Maybe he's not an Arab. As the Prophet said in the hadith, there is no difference between an Arab and an Arab only by piety. We're all equal. So he said, Ya Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sahbihi wa sallam, inna kunna bi ardi faris, we, when we were living in the land of Persia, ida takhawafna al khayl, look at what he said, ida takhawaf, if we are frightened from the horses, attacking us meaning we dig a ditch on the ground between us and the horses coming so that horses cannot come across and if the riders want to come they can come down and fight us okay, on their feet Rasulullah when he heard what he said he felt glad 
Because the fear was, as we said at the beginning of the Seerah, the south of Mecca, a part of the west side, is all covered either by trees or mountain. The only area that is really open and it's plain land is the northwest area when you are coming from Sham. That is open area. So the Prophet immediately agreed with him. This is a very good idea. Yes, we are frightened from the horses coming, attacking us. And because we worry about the people who are living here, their families, their belongings, their children, we don't want to do anything. That. So let us dig the ditch. Rasulullah joined them. He didn't sit as a leader in his office planning and saying to them, you go and dig. He didn't, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, picked some to go and dig and left others. As a leader, he has shown by example. So they went, they listened to this young man with this great idea, explaining. Of course, there were some people who were wondering, will it work? Always this happened. But the Prophet, Allah taught him, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Once you come to a decision with an agreement of the majority of those who are around you, then let your dependence be only upon Allah. So immediately he began digging. It was at a time when it was very cold. You know, subhanAllah, it gets very cold in this country sometimes. But I promise you, you have not seen cold. Go to the desert. When it is cold in the desert in the morning, you will wish, you will wish you're not there. Because it's so cold and so dry. Not like here, because here it's cold and wet. It will snow, there is water. Okay? It's damp. There is so dry, your skin will crack and blood will come out. You wake up in the morning to make your wadu, the water will be frozen on top. You have to break it. To touch it, put it in your skin, it will hurt you. And no heated water. People were so tired, as described in the seer, or the book of seer that had written. And with that, there was not enough food in Medina at that time. People were hungry. They were going a day or two or three without food. And it is said by a companion called Abu Talha, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, shakawna ila When it became so hard, we were digging, we were working, but we were so hungry and not enough food. We came to him and complained. Ya Rasulullah, we are hungry. And it is too cold. And we stood there and we opened, we raised our shirt. And each one of us, his stomach is drawn in and tied with a little bit of cloth. And when we took the cloth off, there is a stone. And when they showed that the Prophet was tearing, sallallahu alayhi wa feeling sad for them. But then he raised his shirt and he has two stones. He said, by Allah Almighty God, this is, okay, this companion Abu Talha said, by Allah Almighty God, we have never felt more happier than that moment. He is the man who is leading us. He is the man who is bringing the message. He is the man who is supposed to be closest to Allah. He is in a worse condition than us. He said, that gave us a little bit of strength and we felt good. Anas okay. ibn Malik said خرج رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إلى الخندق the messenger peace be upon him came out 
while we are digging, when he went to rest, and he found us digging, and he didn't miss anybody. Most of the people from the Muhajirun of Mecca, or the Ansar of Medina, the Aus al were there digging. Everybody was helping. That really touched him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But what made him really feel concerned, it was so cold. So cold that nobody will do any work at that moment. But these people were listening to him and doing the job. Because to dig a long, long ditch that was deep and wide, it's difficult. Now he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said this statement to them. Praising them and asking Allah for them. He said, Allahumma inna al-aisha aishu al-akhira. Allahumma inna al-aisha aishu al-akhira. Oh Allah, indeed the real life or the real living is the living of the hereafter. This life is like a mirage. Allahumma inna al-aisha aisha al-akhira. Faghfir lil-ansar wal-muhajira. Oh Allah, forgive the ansar and forgive the muhajirin. Now when they listen to him, praising them and praying for them and asking Allah for forgiveness for them, and they know if they ask him to ask Allah to forgive them, they will be forgiven. <laughs> Allah says so in the Quran. Allah says if they came to you seeking forgiveness and you, O Muhammad, ask me to forgive them, they will indeed find me most forgiving. Most forgiving. So here, by himself, he asked Allah to forgive. That means they were all forgiven. And this is why they got this energy, this eagerness to carry on with the job. They are not frightened from the hunger nor the cold weather. But they replied to him. And they said, نَحْنُ الَّذِينَ بَيَعُوا مُحَمَّدًا نَحْنُ الَّذِينَ بَيَعُوا مُحَمَّدًا عَلَى الْجِهَادِ مَا بَقِينَ أَبَدًا we are the one who have given, have given a covenant or made an agreement with Muhammad that we will always strive and fight to defend ourselves, our honor, our dignity, our deen, and you, O Muhammad until the end. Until the end. We're not going to leave. Remember Bayhaqi, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, reported also a beautiful story while they're digging in the ditch. And they used to take turn. Some will rest and some will dig. And the Prophet used to take his turn with them, Ali Abdullah In the Sahih of Al-Bayhaqi, Al-Barra ibn Adib, the companion, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, says, while the companion were digging and they were finding it easy, although that land is not really easy to dig. Today when you travel there, you see the machinery there important to dig. Those tunnels and those, it's huge. But those were digging with their hands. So subhanallah, they were stuck because there was a huge rock they could not do anything about. Here come the true miracle of the Prophet The miraculous nature of Rasulullah And by the way, to read these miraculous stories, in the seer book they mention some of them, but not all of them. You need to read the Shifa al-Qadiyyad. If you read the, as a seer, al-Shifa al-Qadiyyad, MashaAllah, he talks about the Prophet 
of Allah as the Prophet, the Messenger. All the other seers, it talks about Muhammad as the man, the father, the leader, just giving all the historical background with some elements of the Prophet, miracles and others. But here, this is where the Prophet has given them that confidence. So, Al-Barra ibn Adib said, عَرَضَتْ صَخْرَةٌ عَظِيمًا شَدِيدًا A huge rock that was so strong suddenly appeared for the companions and they could not do anything about it. It stopped them in their places. It was covered a huge area. فَشَكُوا ذَلِكَ إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ سَلَّمْ They complained to the Prophet Sallam. He came. He took his tool in his hand and said, Bismillahi, وَضَرَبَ ضَرْبَةً Then he hit one hit a third of the rock was destroyed. When I mean by destroyed, it was not just broken, because they need to break it. It was just, it just melted about. What did he say after that? Allahu Akbar, u'atitu mufatih al-sham. Allah has opened for him to appreciate and understand what is coming next. He said, Allah is great. I have been given the keys to enter Damascus. I have been given the keys to enter Damascus. And this happened later. Okay? And then he hit straight away the second time. The second third of the rock was demolished. And then he said, Allahu Akbar. والله إني لأبصر غصر المضائن الأبيض الله أكبر الله is great I have been given the keys for Persia and by Allah Almighty God from here I could see their palace the white palace in المدائن their city I could see it from here that means it's guaranteed all those things were guaranteed this is Bushra, good news, good tiding for those who are Don't worry. There are enemies within. There are enemies out coming above from Mecca and other areas of uh, Al Jazeera or Arabia to fight us. We never went out to fight them. We never went to destroy them. We never wanted to take from them or to do evil to them. They are coming to us. But now I am seeing what is going to happen. And the companion were getting stronger. Then he hit the third hit. Bismillah. And then the rest of the rock was destroyed. And he said, Allahu Akbar. I have been given the keys for Yemen. Allahu Akbar. Now for him, subhanAllah, while he's digging this, and he's seeing in front of him, a sham being given. And he's seeing to the east, Persia is being given. And he's seeing in the west, or in the south, sorry, Yemen is being given. Which direction he was looking? You might ask. How was he seeing it? Was he seeing it like in a screen in front of him? Was he seeing the land? When he said, I'm seeing the palace in Al-Madain, the white palace of Persia, he was seeing it in this direction. That means he was almost looking into the east. Was he digging east? So how did he see it that way? Or how did he? You think about it. 
But the here, we need to think and go back to himself, وسلم, what he said about his side. When he used to pray with the companion and they used to do things that are not supposed to be done in the salah, like doing like that with their fingers in the salah, or doing like that, or playing with their clothes, he used to say to them, by Allah Almighty God, I see you from my behind and I see you standing in front of me. Does he have two eyes in his back of his head? He doesn't have two eyes there. But his eyes of his heart are open. When the eye of the heart is open, you see all of them. This always, whenever I go anywhere, and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, oh, big brother is watching, you see those round balls, the black ones. These are cupboards, by the way. I could see this cover, I could see everywhere. I always remember the Prophet And then I remember the spirit of man. The spirit of man, if it is open, you can close your eyes and you will see everywhere. And you will hear everything. By Allah, each one of us can be given a glimpse of this at a moment when Allah chooses. A man I used to love very much from those who taught me. He did everything to help me and support me. To give me a position and a place to be among those whom Allah will praise. Rasulullah sallam will look at with the eye of joy. He always put me first. He's dead. May Allah bless him and raise him to the highest, loftiest place. The night I got married, I always wished him to be there. He was not there. And when I took my wife the first night and we were staying in this place, and at Fajr time I got up, or before Fajr, and I just made my wudu, came and sat in the prayer mat to pray, and by Allah Almighty God, while I'm sitting like this, reflecting, but I was feeling sad he was not there, I could hear in the room, from all, from all areas, and I could smell, his, he had a beautiful smell. The room was filled, and I could hear him talking to me, said to me, don't worry, all these moments you spend enjoying yourself with your family, and those people whom you are joining, as a new family, I was there with you. I could, and I was shocked. And then suddenly I opened my eyes, are you here? And my wife suddenly woke up and she looked at me like she was young. I said, did you hear that? She said to me, I didn't hear anything. I'm sure there was someone talking to me. But then I came to my senses. If Allah wants you to get that kind of thing, he will give it to you at a time when he thinks it's more beneficial to understand. This is why the link to the good people is good and the link to the good places is even better. Al-Mar'u ma'aman ahab. The Prophet said, the person will be with those whom he loves. If you love the dunya people, you will be with them. And they will remind you of the dunya and you will get its pleasures. But if you be with those people of the hereafter, Allah will give you the pleasure of what they are in and the hereafter. May Allah give us that. May Allah give us that. So the Prophet was seeing this because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him the power to see at all times. For he never sleeps. Never sleeps. As he said in the hadith, sallallahu alayhi wa My eyes will sleep, but my heart never sleeps. When he says, I am given the keys for Yemen. 
And I could see from here the gates of Sana'a. Because in the olden days, every city have sewers, okay, walls, okay, and they have got gates in them. Look what he said next. I have been given the keys for Yemen. And I am looking and seeing the gate of Sana'a now, this moment of time. Not a dream, not a vision that I have concocted put together or I think. No, 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 no. This is reality. Now, I am looking at them now in front of me. And later on, some of the companions, they used to see this normally. They see the malaika. They see... Uh, things happening around them. They hear things. All of them. From Abu Bakr to many of them. They used to look at the people like this and they would know who have faith, who have got high ranking, who the hypocrite. And each one of them have qualities. So we need to take lessons. At that moment of time, too many miracles were shown to the companions. At a time of fear and doubt, and the hypocrites raise their heads. Whenever there is conflict between the believers, watch, not shaitan, the hypocrites. They just come up, they create fitna. Well, fitna to ashaddu min al qatl, and fitna is worse than killing. I worry too much about the hypocrites in our ummah. The kafir is a kafir. I know he's a kafir. Me and him don't see eye to eye. I believe he doesn't believe. For him is his religion, for me is my religion. But the hypocrite. In one hand, he's holding the Quran, talking to me as a brother. On the other hand, he's taking everything that is again is the Quran and looking at me as an enemy. How can I trust him or her? And at this moment, I'm telling you now, we need to be very careful. Too many hypocrites. We need to be Watching ourselves and guarding and reading. Rasulullah used to read this dua. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-kufri wal-nifaq wal-shiqaq wa su'i al-akhlaq. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-kufri wal-nifaq wal-shiqaq wa su'i al-akhlaq. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from disbelief and hypocrisy and deviation and evil manners or terrible manners. Islam is about good manners. Islam is about unity. Islam is about standing together. Islam is about doing good and loving good for everyone and everything. And wanting good for your brothers before you wanting it for yourselves. But the hypocrite, he's selfish, self-centered. The chain has two faces. Qala Rasulullah the hypocrite will come in the day of judgment and he has two faces from the hellfire. Will be seen. Two faces of flame. And nobody will hide him in that day. One of the miracles of Rasulullah in that time, people were so thirsty while they're digging. And there is not enough water to drink. And when you are tired and when you are hungry, at least a sip of water will give you some strength. So Rasulullah called someone to bring him a container with water. So they said, there is very little. So I said, bring it. If you talk about this now, 
at the blessing, people will think, oh, how disgusting. What he did, he took it, he, he spit it on it. And he recited loudly some adhkar. Many of us would wish to know what he recited. Many of us would wish. I wish. He recited loudly. Many companions knew, some didn't know what. They said, that's, he read things. Loudly. And then he drank and gave us, and everyone drank. Because the water became like a fountain coming out of that container. Or that vessel. Dashing out. How come he does not do that when he is the messenger of God? If Musa can open the sea by saying Bismillah, if Isa can raise the dead by saying Bismillah, then Sayyidina Muhammad by saying Bismillah can just hit his hand like this and water can dash out of it. And water used to dash out between his fingers. This is Rasulullah. This is our messenger. This is our beloved. Okay? So this is something that happened a few times in that. And one of the companions whom I love very much, Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, read his story. He is one of those people whom Allah has given him special status. He says, while we were digging, because he loved the Prophet why I'm saying, uh, read his story. He loved the Prophet And the Prophet loved him. While everybody is digging, because he's caring for all the companions. But he was so much worried about the Prophet He says, while we are digging, I just ask permission from him. Ya Rasulullah, can you just give me permission to go home? Some people might hear say, my God. He's going to go home now. He's tired. He's going to leave us. He's not going to dig anymore. But the Prophet smiled and said, go. So he went home. He rushed to his wife. And he said to her, have you got anything to be cooked? I can't stand around the Prophet digging. His stomach is going in, tying not two but three stones more hungry than anybody else. And maybe there is something little to eat here. I want to bring him and let him eat something. We don't need to eat, but he needs to eat. She said, yes. I have a small little goat. And I have a little bit of barley. He said, please prepare it. So he stood there. They sacrificed the little goat. Okay. And they skinned it. They cut it. They put it in a pot. Our pot we cook in are made of clay. Okay, So they put it in the pot and they have got like a stove they make bread in. She quickly grinded that barley and she made her chapatis and she was putting them to be ready. Like the way the Persians do their bread. He rushed while everything was cooking to the Prophet and everybody quietly, because there are too many people, said, Ya Rasulullah, I want you to eat something. Could you please come and you can bring two or three with you? <laughs> the Prophet, knowing, <laughs> the Prophet said, loudly, what did you say? Food? And the Prophet read their head and looked. He said, yeah, but for you, for you, and just one or two you pick to eat, because he knows the Prophet will not eat alone. 
the Prophet said to him, Okay, we'll come. He sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he rushed in front of him to tell his wife, he said to all the people, MashaAllah, <laughs> Jabir and his wife, may Allah bless them, they have cooked for us, let's go. They didn't just come, if they have people in their houses who are not who are hungry, they invited them as well. So everybody came. Everybody was there digging, everybody was preparing, everybody was supporting. They and when they came, he told her, I'm so sorry, everybody is here. Do we have enough? Look at the fear. Do we have enough food for them? She said, did you tell him, look at the power of the woman here. Like Hajir, when Ibrahim salam said to her, I am frightened to leave you and the little baby in a land where there is no plantation. She said, Allahu amaraka ya Ibrahim. Did Allah command you? He said, yes. He said, Then go. He will not let us down. I trust you. The same thing this wife said to him. Did you tell him? He said, yes. He said, doesn't matter. Let them come in. As long as they do not okay, squash one another. They can come in. So Rasulullah said to him, tell her not to remove the pots from the fire. And he came, sallallahu and did his business. And subhanallah, he was taking the bread that she cooked and he was breaking it and taking from the meat. Imagine little God putting a lot of meat and covering it with another bread, making sandwiches and giving and feeding. But every time he does one, this is the secret here. When he does one, he covers the pot. Don't leave your pots open. It's a sunnah. Don't leave it open. Wallah. People say, cover it because the sunnah may be something you please put something. No. You're taking it all away. Iblis doesn't like your food. <laughs> Iblis is disgusted by you. Iblis is discriminating against us. <laughs> the barakah is gone. When you leave it open, no barakah. When you close it, when you open it, Bismillah, take from it, Allahu Akbar, MashaAllah, close it, Bismillah. You open it, Bismillah, there will all be barakah. Allah, Allah is my witness. This is the way it is done. I have seen it done in my lifetime by great men. So always cover. So he covers. Look at Jabir. You have said every time he's feeding somebody, he's covering it. And then after giving few people, he goes and check. Everybody's all right, sitting properly, and he's giving. He said, everyone ate until they were full. And there was food in the pot. He looked at my wife and said to her, feed yourself and be generous. Feed your neighbor. There are many hungry people around. Since when? One little goat feed <laughs> This is his way. When you read in the Sirah in Ibn Hushab, say, and he used to feed armies from little food. This is one of them. It's an army. He had 3,000 men. I believe all of them ate. I trust Rasulullah will not leave anybody hungry. Anyone who was hungry that day has eaten. And this is from the miracle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Okay? Now, Quraysh came and stayed in front of the ditch. And Qatfan came with their soldiers as well. The Prophet was on the other side and they are here. When they looked at the huge ditch, and it was about 
5,000 okay, dira. Quite long. And it was wide. Maybe about mile dira or more. That's about almost three and a half, four meters, something like that. And as deeper than that. And long. 4,000, maybe 5,000 meters. Quite long. <laughs> it was five miles. Imagine huge. Rasulullah was ready in the other side. So they were waiting there. The Arab says, this is not our tradition to do this. Where did Muhammad got this idea? They were worried because they couldn't. They were just going to drive in, destroy everything, take everything, take women, take children, take wealth, and leave. This is what they used to do. They couldn't. Some of their strong men, and they had very, very strong men, People like Khalid ibn Walid and those people. They couldn't believe that they will not go. They said, we will go through with the horses and we will go through. So, in this moment, Rasulullah has already divided his people in areas. He didn't leave any area empty. Every maybe 20, 30 meters, there is a number of companions guarding it behind there are some people who are inside the ditch. So if anybody falls in, they're ready to fight. There are people behind with bows and arrows shooting those who are trying to jump with their horses. And there are people who are ready with them with their swords if they come to the other side to fight them. They were ready. Now, the moment became so hard. And the fear was so much with all those miracles taking place around them. The Prophet felt so sorry for the people of Medina. He realized he could stop all this and no attack will take place. Look at him. He wants peace. He decided to talk to the leaders of Ghatfan and give them a deal. And his deal is he will give them all the fruits of Medina for a year. Whatever they will yield in their farms, they can have for one year and to return back to their land. And they will accept it. That year was a year of drought and there is no food. They will say yes, immediately. Because this is more than Khaybar. The Jews gave them Khaybar, this is more. Then Rasulullah turned to the Aus and Khazraj, the people of Medina. He said, look, I don't want you to suffer. I really feel if they come in and destroy your land, your home, your families, I will not feel comfortable. Let me make a deal and let them return back. The Quraysh will not fight you. And the two leaders okay, of Medina, from Al-Aws and Khazraj, they said, no, Ya Rasulullah. We will never accept this. These were people whom they were like us, not believing in God, not going in the straight path, not doing the good things. Allah has guided us through you. Allah has brought you from your land to live with us. We have promised you to give our life for you and the faith you brought to us. We are now living a life of dignity and peace and honor. All that which we used to do in the wicked days is gone. We will not share anything with them. What we have is ours. If they want to come and have it, they can fight for it. And Rasulullah immediately agreed because now they have shown him that they will not show any weakness. They said, Ya Rasulullah, 
قد كنا نحن وهؤلاء على الشرك Oh Messenger of Allah, we and them, we used to be mushriks. وعبادت الأوثان and we used to worship the idol. However now, لا نعبد إلا الله. And we only worship Allah now. So, we are with you, inshallah, to the end. Some of the mushrikeen, when they saw the Prophet is standing still to fight them, they began to plot. And younger, stronger men with their horses tried to find weaker areas through which they can penetrate to enter Medina. Some of them they managed to enter. They found places to enter Medina. And when they entered, one of them who was riding on his horse, he says to Ali ibn Abi Talib and others who are standing, who will come to fight me? He is looking for greater companions like Umar Khattab, or Uthman ibn Affan, okay, or Abu Bakr Sadiq to stand up. Immediately Ali ibn Talib said to him, I'll fight you. He said, no. No, no, I don't want to kill you. Because you are a brother. Ali ibn Talib said to him, but I would love to kill you. Because if I kill you, I will kill you for the sake of God. This man, they say, he used to fight a thousand men. He was one of the strongest of the mushrikeen. Okay. He jumped out of his horse to show that he was not a coward and he killed his horse. I'm not going anywhere. Come and fight me now to show his strength. You don't do that in a battle but unless you can show your courage. This is some of the tactic of the people of the past. So Ali jumped in and he fought him and he killed him. The rest of the people who came with him, they realized if he can be destroyed and they're in their horses, they returned back. When they returned back, the Prophet ﷺ was sitting waiting what will happen. This was taking place not one day, two days, one week, two weeks, almost a month. They were surrounding okay, Medina, those mushrikeen, with their 10,000 soldiers, plotting and planning what to do. But in Allah's wisdom, a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, who was in the other side as the mushrik, with those people who came from Mecca, came to the Prophet ﷺ called Naim ibn Maz'ud. He came to the Prophet and said to him, Ya Rasulullah, I was on the other side. But by the grace of Allah, I could see the wisdom that you don't mean any harm. And your message is a message of peace. And you want nothing but to develop the people to appreciate one another and respect one another and to live a life of dignity. For this reason, I believe in what you bring. I'm a Muslim now. The Prophet said to him, Look, if this is the case, I would love you to do me one favor. Don't declare your Islam in front of the others. Al-harbu War is trickery. In order to, do, to stop the bloodshed, I would like you to do something. Go to your people and find a way to stop it. The Prophet didn't tell him what to do, but the Prophet inspired him. Okay? So, Rasulullah filled him with the strength of Iman, and he rushed straight away to Ghatfan initially. Sat with them for a while, looked at them to make sure that nobody have seen him. Then he went to Quraysh, sat for a while. Then he went to the Jews. Assalamu alaikum. A'udhu billahi minash shaytan rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. 
الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله الأمين وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا Now before we went to the Maqrib prayer I was thinking that one of the men from the Mushrikeen side who suddenly decided that the truth is with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made his way to Medina and declared to the Prophet sallallahu his intention and the Prophet sallallahu said to him don't declare to the people but al-harbu khid'a the war is trickery we don't want bloodshed can you do something so he went straight away and visited the camp to, to make sure that everybody knows him as he was then he went to Bani Qurayza and told them the Jews that remember you are going to be living with Muhammad Sallam. if you lose this battle how are you going to carry on with him remember your brother and before that who went against him who wanted to kill him and by the way, even if you win, do you think Quraysh is going to just keep you like that? You are paying now for Ghatfan. They might be asking for payment too from you. So you're going to be like slaves in their hands. They were worried. And they knew he was one of them. Then he went to Ghatfan and sat with them and told them, look, yani, you are being promised to be paid. Are you sure you're going to be paid? And what will happen if Quraysh suddenly decided to take that money or that wealth from them? Will you fight Quraysh as well? They have doubt. And then he came to Quraysh and sat down with Sufyan and his people and told them similar things. So he put doubts in all their hearts and they began to worry. Abu Sufyan decided that, no, this something is wrong. Okay? And he was talking to the people from Bani Qarida about what will happen يعني, after the battle and this and that. And from the way he was talking to them, he realized they were not the same like before. Something is happening. So what he was told is true. The same thing with Ghatfan. So they all began to talk to one another. Abu Sifan decided to leave. He's not staying. But before he moved, Ghatfan decided to get out and go. So they took their belongings, and they went away. Abu Sufyan sat on his camel, and with one word, he just jumped up and asked everybody to leave with him, and they left. The Prophet ﷺ left only with Bani Qarida inside. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought from the heaven wind that surrounded them, destroyed everything they were trying to hide. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not going to leave them. Because where will they go? And if you read the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this and explains exactly what he did. Because everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses is a weapon. And everyone that is being used, whether we know them or not, from the angel, from the jinn, from the human, are soldiers of the Creator, Almighty God. Allah said in the Quran, وَلِلَّهِ جُنُودُ السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ And for Allah are the soldiers of the heavens and the earth. As in Badr, the Malaika come and fought with him. In this time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the Malaika and uses the wind. And the Prophet ﷺ suddenly 
was sitting and somebody came and told him, look, they moved. They took their army and they left. In the morning, he woke up. He looked around, there's nobody. He ordered all the Muslims to return back to their homes in Medina. And that was the end of it. In this battle, only seven Muslims were killed in the skirmish that took place here and there. Okay? And few of the mushrikeen were killed. The Prophet then said to them, Insha'Allah, from this time, Quraysh will never have a hand over us, and they will never dare to come back. That's it. This is the end of it. And this is like, subhanAllah, an indication to those who are around him. Don't fear. Don't weaken. Don't be frightened. For indeed, the victory of Allah is coming. Allah inna nasrallahi Qareeb. Indeed, the victory of Allah is very close. What he meant by that is returning back to Mecca. Because this is where his heart was. This is where he was born. It's where the Kaaba is. This is where his feeling of the destruction of the foundation of the religion of Islam, as it was put by Sidna Ibrahim in the Kaaba and his son Ismail السلام, is destroyed. He wants to go back and return it. And that, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, happened when they went back. But from that year, the year 5th of Hijrah, never the Prophet received anybody coming to him. Never. He managed from that time to prepare himself properly and prepare the companions. And here, there is a lesson for us now that while we are in a condition of peace, in a place whereby there is peace, our main fundamental duty is to learn. Because indeed, only through learning we can benefit ourselves. Allah said in the Quran, Ask them, O Muhammad, are those who have knowledge equal to those who have not? Allah answers himself and says, They will never be equal. For knowledge is the highest thing a human being can receive. And the highest knowledge is the knowledge of Allah. If you don't know Allah, how do you claim to worship him? Man who Allah? Even the little children, they should be able to answer, Huwa Allahu Ahad. Allahu Samad, Lam Yalid wa Lam Yulad. Walam Kufuan Ahad. It is He, Allah, the one, the only one. The one who was not born, the one who does not give birth, the one whom there is nothing equivalent to Him. Laytha He is unique. La tarahu al-Uyun, wa al-Absar. Neither the eyes can see Him, nor the sight can sight him. It is he, Allah. There is none worthy to be worshipped but him, the living, the eternal. Neither slumber nor sleep will take him. Everything in the heaven or the earth belongs to him. Who dares to intercede to anybody or to himself on his behalf or before him subhanahu wa ta'ala without his permission. However, he knows everything that is apparent in their condition, all his creation, or hidden. And they will never be able to appreciate or understand or know any of his knowledge. 
As Rasulullah says, the knowledge that we know is like the water that is carried in a needle dipped on the water of the ocean. In proportion, it's nothing. This is what we know. We know nothing. إِلَّا بِمَا Only what Allah wills us to know, we know. وَسِعَ كُرْسِيُهُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ The Almighty Allah, His chair. And don't think of a chair to sit on. His seat of power encompasses the heaven and the earth. And the Prophet ﷺ, to give us an understanding, he said the chair to the throne is like a ring thrown in a desert in proportion. It's huge. We have no comparison, okay, in our understanding to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, almighty understanding. We should be very careful, okay? And then we can go further. In the Quran, Allah says at the end of Surah Al-Hajr, هُوَ اللَّهُ الَّذِي لَا إِلَهَا إِلَّا هُوَ Okay? عَالِمُ الْغَيْبُ وَشَهَدَهُ وَالرَّحْمَانُ الرَّحِيمُ And so on to the end of those verses. So there are a lot of verses in the Quran telling us who Allah is. As the man who came to Ali ibn Abi Talib and asked him, Do you know Allah? He said, Wayhak, be careful, my brother. Do I worship someone whom I don't know? That means for us to know who Allah is, it is essential. It is important. And the minimum we should know is his attribute, his sifat. Who Allah, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Malik, Al-Guddus, Al-Salam, Al-Mu'min. These names, we should know them. قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من أحصاها دخل الجنة For Allah there are 99 attributes, names, beautiful names. Whosoever memorize them, understand their meanings. Turn to Allah and worship him through those names and call upon him and ask of him. Indeed he will enter paradise. For sure, there's no doubt about it. So this is where we should think about the battle of Al-Ahzab or Al-Khandaq. From it we learn great lessons. Lesson number one. That the Prophet ﷺ, even to that point, five years after he made Hijrah, he never went out of his way to fight anybody, but they all came to him. He migrated. He could have fought them in Mecca, but he migrated. Before that, those who could be able to fight... Send them up to Abyssinia. No fighting. No spilling blood. But when they came to him, he did not make his own decision. Just like the battle of Badr and Uhud, he consulted. Even in your own home, with your family, when you want to do anything, consult. Shura. It's very, very important. And once you come to a decision, then leave it to Allah. Once you are able to to carry out your, inshallah, intention, leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't do anything. He will allow you to do. Umar ramayta id ramayta walakin Allah rama. You have not shot O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi but Allah allowed you to shoot. So here, a great lesson for us to consult with our brothers and sisters when we do anything. Then, everybody have a right in taking Salman's, okay, understanding of fighting a battle in his land in Persia by digging a ditch, the Prophet did not argue. Did not say it's not important. We don't know how to do it. We have never done it. He realized this man knows better than what we know. 
He did that. No differentiation between an Arab and not Arab. No differentiation between the young and the old. No differentiation between the one who is close to him in blood and that was further. No differentiation between the one who is very religious in his practice and the one who... No, they're all equal. And then, he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, has shown his love to them. Where he was digging with them, helping them, supporting them. And that is essential. Every one of us should understand this. That Rasulullah Sallam has been given the greatest opportunity in this battle al-Ahzab to realize that when you make agreement with people, if they don't stick to them, their life will be dealt with with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore, this tribe of the Jews who went and plotted to do this, Allah has shown them. If you stand by the side of the truth, you'll be saved. But if you stand by the side of falsehood, you'll be, inshallah, destroyed. It's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us. It's a great lesson. It's a beautiful lesson for a Muslim. When we read the seerah in Islam, or the seer of the great men among the companions and the sages of Islam, we learn the lesson from them. Anything that you read and you don't learn a lesson from, it has no value. So we leave the mosque tonight and we go to our homes picking that which Rasulullah did best. Having firm trust in Allah. That as long as we are with him, we will never go astray. If you support Allah, Allah will support you. How do we support Allah? By standing firm to his teaching. Hold tight on the teaching of the Quran. Each one of you, when you are reading the Quran, when you come to a verse talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reflect upon it. I just gave three examples of Al-Ikhlas, Surah Al-Ikhlas, Ayat Al-Kursi, the last three verses of Surah Al-Hashr. These are just some of the verses. A third of the verses of the Quran speak about Allah. A third of them. So ultimately when you are reading, you will find the verse just talking about Allah. Reflect upon it. Then whenever you find the names of Allah, reflect upon them. Whenever you have time, put them in front of you. Try to memorize them. Children in the olden days were taught after every prayer when they finished the tasbih, subhanallah 33, alhamdulillah 33, Allahu Akbar 33, as a prescription from Rasulullah If somebody asked me why 33, I say I don't know. The Prophet didn't tell us why you should do 33. And no companion will dare to ask him why. Only those who are ignorant. If Khidr alayhi salam, who was supposed to be teaching a great messenger, Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, whom Allah said to him, he's coming to you, teach him. Allah said, وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ مِنْ لَدُنَّا عِلْمًا We have taught him from our present knowledge that even Musa doesn't know. His condition for him, you come with me but don't question me. The companion will never ask the Prophet because they have adab, they have respect. Today we are living in a time and a place where people will ask, why are you doing 33? Why asking me? Read the sunnah. Did anybody ask the Prophet So we need to be really cautious, careful. Anything in the sunnah, the Prophet did, we do like he did. If we don't understand it, we ask the people of knowledge. Allah said, in kuntum, la Ask the people of knowledge if you do not understand or you have no knowledge about it. Don't worship Allah blindly. Please, it is so sad to see people worshipping Allah and they don't know. 
And when they are questioned, they can't answer. They feel weak. Allah is not to be known through ignorance. Allah is to be known through knowledge. And he taught Adam the names. The name of those people who will carry the knowledge. شهد الله أنه لا إله إلا هو والملائكة أول العلم قائما بالقصد الله إذا ويتنس that there is none worthy to be worshipped but him and the malaika and the people of knowledge they are carrying justice on the land through Allah's justice when you go to the mosque inshallah coming Friday sit down and listen to the khutbah properly please reflect upon the last thing the imam will read and I would promise you, no imam on the land who have the knowledge of our Prophet will come down from the member without reading. Indeed, Allah commands justice, good doing, and being kind to your next of kin, to your relatives, to your relations. And he forbid all acts of evil, vulgarity and rudeness and wickedness. He warns you. Perhaps, maybe you remember. Perhaps. Every Friday when you go to the sermon, it finishes with these words. It's a balanced word. It's an equation. Three good things Allah commands Three evil things Allah commands to keep away from. Allah commands Al-Adl, Wal-Ihsan, Wa-Ita'idhul-Qurba. You should judge your week from the beginning to the end of the week. Have you adhered to any of those three? And then, Yanha Anil-Fahshah, Wal-Munkar, Wal-Baghi. He forbid all acts of evil. Fahshah, that which leads to adultery. Wal-Munkar, that is obscene, like vulgar language, oppressing people. Okay? Wal-Baghi, attacking people by thinking bad about them, feeling bad about them. Suspicion is haram. Or using your tongue to backbite them, to slander them, to spread rumors about them, to lie, to cheat, to deceive, or attacking them by your physical body. Or use somebody else to attack them. Three. Three and three. Balance. Watch. Wallah, Allah is my witness. If you use those three and those three as your scale in your week until the next Friday and you tick what you do, what you don't do, it will help you to help Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide you. إِنَّكَ لَمْ تَهْدِي مَنْ أَحْبَبْتَ O Muhammad, peace be upon you. You will not guide those whom you love. وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهِ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءَ However, Allah guides whomever he wishes. الْهِدَايَ مِنَ اللَّهِ الله عليكم السلام الله يهدي اوكي الله يهدي لكن نحن نطلب الهدايه وي اسك الله تو جيف اس جايدن مي الله جايد مي ان جايد يو مي الله سترينثن مي ان سترينثن يو مي الله هيلب مي ان هيلب يو مي الله جيف مي ان جيف يو توفيق فور اندي ذا بيست ثينغ الله كان جيف يو از توفيق توفيق مينينغ سكسس وما توفيقي الا بالله عليه توكلت واليه انيب ماي سكسس از اونلي باي الله Upon him I depend, and to him surely is my return. We now, inshallah, read some salawat and some dua. There is a sister, is she going to stay or she's living with somebody? Are you going to live or stay a little bit? Yes, my sister? Um, I'm going to stay, but I'm not going to 
if you have time or got any some salawat, will be of benefit. Yeah, it's good for you. Today is Saturday. So inshallah, today is Saturday. Don't worry. And then inshallah we can do the ruqya. Okay. Let's read inshallah before the ladies come for their place. <laughs> so we can finish. We have time inshallah. We finish before Isha today and we can let you go home early.